Ooh, this was a good conversation. There was just so much goodness in this. Uh, we, we talked about trauma, where trauma comes from, how it doesn't have to be this massively big thing, how it can be something small, as little as, uh, uh, as she said, death by a thousand needles, which is like, oh, that one, that one hit home. She, we also talked about how to overcome trauma when it starts, how you can actually start working on yourself or regulating a child's emotions when they're a few weeks old. They don't have, <laughs> it's like stuff that absolutely blew my mind. Dr. Shauna Schmidt holds a master's degree in counseling with over 25 years working with children, adults, and families as a therapist, family advocate, and behavioral coach. As an early childhood mental health and family specialist, specialist, that's what I'm trying to say. Her professional career brings extensive experience and healing to draw clients closer to who they want to be and who they want to serve and how they want to serve others. Man, Sean, you should really learn how to read. She specializes in early childhood trauma and family repair. Being a conscious, disciplined, certified instructor since 2005 has taught Shauna how to pull from her true core of self and create coaching, counseling, and training opportunities that are unique, personal, and relatable. She is the award-winning author of her book, Over Our Hearts, A Mother's Journey Learning to Listen In, a memoir story of her experiences as a mother of a teen parent. Endorsed by Dr. Becky Bailey, Shauna's book is described as an unflinching and inspiring look at the emotions, challenges, relationships, challenges and relationship shifts that come with a young teen's pregnancy. So, without further ado, Dr. Shauna Schmidt. Confucius said we have two lives, and the second begins when we realize that we only have one. We're all given one whole life. And when we find and break the barriers that are preventing us from living fully, we have an audacious attempt to improve mental health. One Whole Life with Sean Francis. So I've, I've been looking forward to this for a couple of weeks now, but yeah, like, I think too. the first question I, I really had was like, what got you into this field in the first place? Since it's not the most comfortable place, you know, I've kind of heard like most therapists or counselors have a story where they're seeking some sort of understanding. And I don't know if you're on that same road too, uh, like with family member or yourself or. Right. That is such an incredible question. First of all, because I was driving down the street today and had this overwhelming, why did I do this? And not like, dun, 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 but like, why? And I remember my senior year in high school, I wrote a paper um, about what I wanted to be when I grew up kind of a thing. And I wanted to be a child psychologist. And my husband and I found that, um, Oh, it's been probably 15 or 20 years ago, but we found it, you know, many years after I graduated high school. And it said so that I can help children not feel the way that I felt. And at that point, so in high school, I knew I felt something that I didn't want to feel Yeah. 10, 15 years later. So I've been out of high school for 30 years some years. I I can't do the math, 34. And so 15 years ago or 20 years ago, I'd already been out of high school, 10 or 15, 20 years. And um, to know that I knew that at that age, but then in my early thirties, didn't know why. 
left me. And I think that, um, so today, why it popped up, I have no clue, other than maybe just kind of a God thing of him prepping me for tonight or something. Yeah. Um, I started asking myself, like, what was that about? What was the deep, deep need? And I have always had a protection need, a need to protect others, um, and a desire, this may sound sadistic, but a desire to take on that for them so that they wouldn't have to. So I'm learning now that's a lot of boundary issues. Yeah. But um, there's also a lot of, it wasn't built in rescuing. It was built in love. You know, as a child, I always played mommy. I always, you know, enjoyed playing with my younger siblings and taking care of them. And then as I got older, then I didn't want to take care of them because they were getting older too. But um, it was just... Same with friends. If they were hurting, I wanted to sit with them while they were hurting. Yeah. They were mad at a boy or a girl. I wanted to sit with them while they were mad at that boy or girl. Or if their parents were jerks, I wanted to sit with them while their parents were jerks. I didn't shy away from it. So I know. So there's that part of me that feels like part of it is um, naturally who I was created to be. Yeah. And then there's other experiences, of course, that shaped and said, this is naturally who you're created to be. And I'm going to throw some stuff out there. So you have good material to pull from. What what do you think that is? I know um, I did a a whole year of Zen meditation because this this might sound kind of crazy, but I was in a really bad spot again, like with depression. And I saw, I stumbled across, I don't know if you've ever seen, but there's a picture of a monk that's on fire. And what he did is he set himself on fire while he was meditating in protest of what was happening um, over there in the times. Right. And so while people see a protest, like I have a picture right up here, it's like, it reminds me all the time. And what I saw though, is someone who had such control over their thoughts and emotions that they could find some peace within all this crazy chaos that's going in outside. Mm -hmm. So that was like, okay, I'm going to try a year of what that guy's doing (laughs) to to see if what will happen. Right. And it it took me on this really strange journey, you know, where you kind of meet your ego and you, you start to learn all about like that part of you that, you know, no one ever talks about. Mm -hmm. And then um, what I kept coming back to is what part of me is, in in the zen thing they always go like what who were you before your mother was born and that's mm-hmm. just like kind of blows yeah, my core. brain the mm-hmm. core and so what i keep hearing is like that was the core of you as a child before a lot of this or maybe it wasn't i i, I don't really know but i guess what do you think do you think that was there when you were born like that's just the core of your makeup i I do now. For a while, I thought I was trying to cover something, protect something. And I was, I mean, for sure. Yeah. You know, um, we had some attachment trauma stuff, me and my siblings when we were growing up. And for me, I'm a very relational person. And that I believe is my core. Okay. The very relational piece. I don't think that was something that was created created out of a need for attachment, but then the cover up was created out of a need for attachment. Okay. And so as my life went on, the the core, the relationship piece of me was easy to do 
but I couldn't figure out what the hard pieces were. And they were that attachment piece. So like, you know, like you were describing, I'm so jealous of that Zen year, like so jealous. It just, Oh uh, yeah. I, I still go, when I get away from it, things just start to get kind of rocky again. So uh, I have a pretty dedicated like early meditation or early morning meditation. And then that kind of creates, I don't know how else to describe it, but space between. Yes. I I talk about space all the time, like between us and everything, whether it's another person's emotions or just what I have to do today, but just that pause. And, um, in, in my book that I wrote, I, I, the title is part of it is about listening in. Yeah. And that's what I started calling it when I was, oh, probably in my mid thirties, I would notice that I would be doing something because that's what my job required of me or, um, you know, that's what society required of me or whatever. But inside I was like, that doesn't seem right. <laughs> yeah. like, there's something a little off there. And, um, so then I would sit by myself and just kind of soak in what I was experiencing. And I would ask myself in kind of a repeated, not a bashing (laughs) repeated manner, but in a repeated manner, what is true about that? What is true about that? So if it was something like, um, you know, oh gosh, no, I'm a terrible mom. Okay. So that's an easy one. I think moms can identify with. I'm a terrible mom. And then I would sit there and go, what is true about that? Hmm. Well, there was no evidence, you know, no evidence that I'm a terrible mom. Um, So then I would go deeper into what makes you think you're a terrible mom? Well, I, you know, my kid didn't get his homework done in time. Mm, What's true about that? It was assigned. He didn't turn it in on time. What's that have to do with me? Yeah. Okay. What else (laughs) evidence do I have? So I would just sit and it wasn't an outward thing. No one around me knew what I was doing, but I would really just sit and just listen to my body. And if it felt true, my body would ah, kind of release. But if it felt like it was true for you or true for my job or true for my neighbor or whatever, then it would have more of a, uh, an urgency, like I've got to get rid of it or I have okay, to do okay. this for them, you know, but when it was true for me, it was just peace, hmm. you know, and it was that space that you described. Then now when I, I mean, still, you know, my kids are 24 and 20 and I still will be like, Oh, a terrible mom. And then I'm like, what's true about that? Yeah, nothing. And I can just, you know, it's it just real quick. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's a different kind of meditation. I use like the call map. Yeah. You know, yeah. for meditation. Yeah. Really, really like that, mainly because of the sound effects in the background. I can choose. Um, but just to sit and tune everything out, that's what my listening in is. Yeah, I've been I'm I'm fascinated by that because I've almost took the other approach where I've I've almost lost so much. So I've become so out of tune with my when I was an athlete. You know, um, I was yeah. I don't know if you're if you know my story, but I was a professional pole vaulter for many years. Yeah, I've watched your videos. Oh yeah, cool. Um, <laughs> so, uh, like doing that, you're very in tune with. I'm feeling this. I I'm mm-hmm. thirsty for this. I'm I need you know rest today, and you know 
for a long time you ignore that stuff and I'd have overuse injuries and things like Mm -hmm. that because you know that's just part of probably some stuff I need I needed to work on back then too Uh but um I I still really struggle with trusting like the intuition versus like what that is it seems so soft right now in my head so I'm fascinated and I someone told me once or maybe I read it somewhere where if you just cut out all the things you're not eventually with what you're left with is exactly who you are so I've kind of taken that approach of chopping things away instead of trying to go the other way but you know the other week when we talked you know we were talking about this book maybe showing yeah Yeah. and thank you for color coding them to the cover oh my god yeah (laughs) but I got to the point of a chapter in there that took the opposite approach of what I did is like listening to your feelings and and your emotions and letting Mm -hmm. those be like the anchor in the moment kind of a situation. Mm -hmm. And that blew my, like, I don't think there's a a word in there that's not highlighted, you know? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I, I, you know, it's also really difficult to do that in the moment because literally, you know, I was talking about my girlfriends coming over and this is only the second time we've gotten together since last March. Right. Yeah. And um, the last time was five or six months ago. I don't remember. And we all, one of them owns an event center. So we went to her event center. We all stayed, you know, like 10 feet apart and just we each had our own little table to sit at. Um, But before they came, I, you know, I kind of checked with myself and with my ego because I get super excited and then I want to talk over people. And that's not naturally who I am. That's who I used you know, that's what I used my ego for when I was in high school and college and all that. So how did you differentiate between like the ego and, and like that truce? Cause there's some times where it feels like this is exactly where I need to be, but my brain's screaming and I can, Mm -hmm. when it's really extreme, I can tell the difference. Like, Ooh, my brain's wanting to go here. Yeah. But I'm not good at it yet. Okay. I literally (laughs) was talking. I'm talking over them. Like, it's all happening. And in my brain, I'm like, stop it, Shanna. Stop it. Just take a deep breath. Stop talking. Like I had two conversations, one to them and one to myself. Yeah. And then I just sat there almost exhausted. Like that was a lot of words because it was coming internally and externally right. know, at the same time. And so I know what it is, but I'm still not successful at like pausing it. I can now with my kids, with my husband, I can be mid sentence and just go, never mind. Sorry. <laughs> but with them, even when I was telling myself, just stop, just stop. I found myself, my ego going, no, because then you're going to have to explain why you had to stop. And that's, you know, maybe too vulnerable or that's just a long conversation and it's getting late or whatever it is. I'm still just <laughs> this ongoing thing in my head. And I was just wiped out once my mouth stopped. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I, do you think you ever really get, I don't, I don't know if there is a mastery of that. It, it feels like it's know. this constant Pop process. Chopra talks a lot about it. Yeah. I, I, I gotta get back to listening to him. I, mm-hmm. I was really deep on Eckhart Tolle during that Zen year. Yeah. Yeah. Him it's, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but you meet some people who are just, they seem so present and it almost mm-hmm. freaks me out because I'm a future person. Yes. 
yes. <laughs> you know, I don't. And that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, and so I want to build things and create things and explore things and experience things, and you mm-hmm. know, and that does like light me up too. Yeah. And so it's it's hard when people lose their keys because they're so present. You know, they're not even thinking about putting them in the yeah. pocket. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I do. I like thinking. Um, I like thinking ahead. Not not anymore in a controlled manner. It used to be to like control everything. You know, when the kids are little, you have to get one here and get one here and do this and have dinner just squeezed in here. So you have to plan the whole week's menu. And, you know, so some of it was needed and some of it was control because if I decide all the meals, then I know they're getting healthy food, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, And now I look more toward the future as, hmm, I wonder what that'll be like. It's like and a curiosity experience that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But and I don't know that I'm doing anything right by any means, but it feels better and feels more calm for me. That has to be right though. That seems to yeah. be my North star. And I, I don't yeah. know. That's why I started these podcasts in the first place to see if people were farther along the road than I was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, you're, when you're my age, you'll probably be farther along down the road. Oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> but it, it's, it feels slow, but it, but really when you're, it just feels like when I have been in line with, I don't know how else to describe it. Like when that noise is turned off and you're kind of in tune with it feels mm-hmm. like you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And I don't, yeah, I haven't found a better in. feeling yeah. than that, but I, I guess my mission is to try and see how to get there more and what obstacles are keeping me from mm-hmm. that, which is, yeah. that probably is a good like lead into the next question. So you've mm-hmm. done a lot of work with trauma and childhood trauma, right? Mm-hmm. I would imagine, I, you know, like, again, reading this book is insane, but they were talk, I, I went f- for many years looking for these massive traumatic experience that happened in my past thinking that's what set me off and I couldn't Mm -hmm. find anything. And what I come to kind of figure out or explore is that it doesn't have to be a giant thing, Mm -hmm. right? It's just something that's not in line with who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Can you speak on that a little bit? Cause that's still pretty new to me. The first thing that came to mind was that, I see this all the time on Instagram posts, um, death by a thousand needles or thousand knives or whatever. Yeah. And I think about that when, when we're more sensitive, so to speak, you know, then when our parent or caregiver or teacher or a neighbor or friend, you know, we have a sensitive moment, like we cry because we couldn't do that bike jump that we wanted to do or, we cry because now I was a crier. I don't know if you were a crier as a child. Um, we can't, you know, go see our friend when we want to see them. For some kids, they're crying because they're just not getting their way. And for yeah. some kids, we're crying because it really feels like a loss. Like my friend is so far away. And when you have the caregiver who says, you're going to be fine, you'll see her tomorrow at school that feels like the first tiny little night, you know, like, yeah, but the loss is so deep within me, you know, and we lived in the country. And so not being around my friends was tough because they're all in town together. Yeah. I can completely relate to that. Yeah. We grew up in the tiniest little town, like tiniest little town. Our family was just about the size of the tiny little town. No, I'm kidding. But um, so when I, when I had an emotion 
And still to this day, I have to offer it to myself because what I've learned is the majority of society doesn't know how to respond to someone who's really sensitive. So I can sense your emotions walking past you in the grocery store and it's exhausting. Yeah, I could imagine. So I have to say before I'd be like, oh my gosh, that guy's so sad. Why is that guy so sad? I wonder what's going on. Does he need help? Should I reach for something for him? Should I ask him if he's okay? Like this whole (gasps) offering him what I needed. Well, then instead, and that's what uh, Dr. LaPera talks about in her book is instead offer you what you need when that guy with all the emotions walked by, you know? So I started doing that is um, starting to say, wow, that guy's really sad. I totally felt that sadness, like, whoa, it's a lot to be carrying, man. I hope you're okay. And so I could recognize it in myself and then give it right back to him instead of carrying it all the way home. Or um, I just shared a story with um, a colleague the other day of a woman here in town, and I haven't seen her in years now, but I would bump into her everywhere and she was really, really mean. And I wanted to like, fix everyone around her. You know, one uh, time I remember her just going off on the person in McDonald's and my kids were really little and were right there next to me. And I just wanted to protect everyone, you know, and kind of fix her really quick. And now I look back and if someone was like that in McDonald's, I'd be like, wow, big hard day. You know, like let them have their life, let them have their moment. I'm not here to do all of these things, but I think that's where, the little tiny traumas happen when you're young, the, it's not a trauma to anyone else. So no one else can relate to it. I mean, obviously some people can because that book is selling thousands and thousands of copies in the last couple <laughs> right. of weeks. So we know it, but yet now we're on the other side of it where we don't know how to respond to what we know. So now I know it intrinsically. I know I'm sensitive. I know, you know, um, that there's all these things that happen. So I'm being really vague right now, but I'm very visual. And so a lot of visions come to me really no, quickly. I'm the <laughs> so same I'm way. That's why I speak in metaphors all the time. Yeah, I'm kind of a exactly. metaphor analogy guy. Yeah. Yep. yep. That's my other language. Um, so I think about like an elementary school mm-hmm. that teachers, when I didn't have the answer, they didn't say, how could you be so stupid? But their voice tone right. was, how could you be so stupid? So you got the message that you were stupid in childhood. Yes. Wow. Yes. So because I'm sensing your discouragement in my answer, I just own it as my own. So now I'm, you know, my traumas, there was um, a bigger one for me in the fact that my birth father had a car accident when I was nine or 10 months old. Mm. And he was in the hospital for a really long time. And then he and my mom got divorced. And so it was kind of a, a uh, traumatic divorce. You know, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't one of those pretty divorces. <laughs> right. So anyway, um, which I'm laughing because I don't know many pretty divorces. Yeah. yeah. But um, for me, it was hard because of the age and stage. And now I know through readings, research, training, you know, whatever I've done since I understand what happened to little tiny baby Shanna in that moment, you know, when things shifted. And I've had a chance to talk with my mom about that. And she and I've done some really fun healing around that. And 
what I needed and what she needed, you know, cause she was a young mom with two little kids and mm-hmm. how does she manage all of that? Right. Um, so simultaneously thinking about, you know, no big trauma. Cause I did the same thing, Sean, I searched. Yeah. Like, I was, what happened I, to me that I must've been out of it for, or, you yeah, know, I was, I was ready to go on an ayahuasca retreat, hoping some yeah. vision or something was going to come to my head that yes. I couldn't find in my own, you know, will yeah. power. And then it was like, Oh, maybe I don't need to do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Save me a flight to the, to the just, jungle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> save me some money. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, just that process of, I think every single person experiences trauma. And then based on who we are created to be, that trauma becomes whatever, you know, so for some people, it might become a psychotic break. And for some people, it might become motivation, right? Like, right. Yeah. oh, that was, that was there for this purpose. So I'm going to do this thing. There's two directions. Like the two questions I want to ask. So I'll do one at a time. So the first one, like how, what's the best way or what, what do you teach people to recognize that in themselves? You know, I've, all I can speak is like kind of what's worked for me is if I have a giant emotion, I'm like, that's probably not how I would react if I was in that peaceful place. So I use it as a fire alarm, kind of like mm-hmm. I need to pay attention oh, to something. Yeah. yeah. And, and if I ignore the fire alarm, there's still going to be a fire going off someplace and it's just going to be burning mm-hmm. something up. So I try, but what I struggle with is sometimes it's hard to know what set the alarm off, you know, it's, and I don't, right. and it sounds, and I'm like, I'm envious of you because you're like, well, this did this to me and this did this to me and this did this. You, you have like a bunch of those, uh, fires like where they are and you can maybe start throwing water on them or healing or whatever maybe. whatever analogy yeah. you want to use you know but maybe so yeah what what do you recommend like if people want to notice what's causing this to try and maybe you know help? i usually you know i don't know so much if i'm a recommender anymore it, you know early in my career um, I had lots of recommendations because research proved that these were the right recommendations for them. Right. right <laughs> yeah. And so my new um, mantra that's come up in the last couple of days is relationship over research. Okay. And meaning that I, as a therapist, as a consultant, as a behavioral coach, whatever my role is in each position, I will walk beside you. I won't carry you. I won't drag you. I won't push you. I'll walk beside you. So whatever direction you go. So as you described, you know, like it's a fire alarm. I'm going to follow you and say, what happens with that fire alarm? How do you feel it? Where do you sense it? And um, Dr. Dan Siegel talks about this, the sift. um, I don't know what the word is, but you pay attention to sensations images, feelings, and thoughts. Okay. And I also, I've always used it, used SIFT prior to that in a different way, because you were describing it um, just a minute ago that you kind of let the things that are no longer needed go by the wayside. Well, I've always visioned my brain as a giant sifter, right? Okay. It's just shaking everything out that doesn't need to be there. Hmm. And so eventually we figure out what, what works. So like now, as soon as I feel a little bit pent up 
you know, like, oh, I've been working on this thing so long and I'm starting to lose my mind kind of a feeling. I go for a walk. We have a nice little neighborhood with a little one mile loop. So I just go for a walk when the weather's nice. Right. <laughs> so this winter was kind of fun. Um, but about 10 or 11 years ago, I was doing a job as an executive director of a nonprofit. And I remember one of the board members, we were all talking on the phone, having conference call. This is pre-Zoom and pre-COVID, you know, right. um, we're on the phone and she goes, Shanna, can you just hang up the phone and go for a walk? And I remember thinking, how dare you tell me what to do? You know, yeah. and now I look back and I'm like, wow, way to go. <laughs> you know, exactly yeah, what I a mean. gift kind of. Yeah. I need movement. I can't yeah. think as long as I'm staying still. As soon as I get the movement, then all the stuff flushes out. So hmm. back to how do you, you know, how do I help people? I meet them wherever that thing is. So, you know, 20 years ago or so, I had a mom on my caseload who had experienced extreme trauma in her childhood, extreme okay. trauma. And all the research was saying, and she had four kids. So they were just little snuggle bunnies. You know, they all just want to climb up on you and hug you and be all over you. And she couldn't do it because touch, her brain said that touch was harmful. Wow. And so she couldn't do that with them. And so I'd come back week after week after week and I'd be like, come on, let's do this. And I, I do um, Dr. Becky Bailey, who's the author of Conscious Discipline. And I've been a certified instructor for a long time. She has a book called I Love You Rituals. And so I was teaching her these I Love You Rituals. And I would do the one with the mom and then we do it with her four children and they would just love it. And their little bodies would regulate so quickly because I was calm and mom was calm. And then I'd kind of prescribe over the next week till I come out again, you know, each child gets one or two a day or whatever, you know, it wasn't, and they're like 20 seconds long. It wasn't you right. know, two or three hours individually with each child. And every week I'd come back out and she'd go, I didn't do it. I just, I can't remember them. It took me weeks to figure out that every time I walked in the door, she was like ready to receive one that I was doing it for her. And that was the first, I still see her around town. Our children were about the same age, um, but I still see her around town. And she was my first aha that I cannot make her heal. No matter what I do, no matter what research I bring out to her, no matter what handouts Head Start wants her to have, or no matter what handouts the health department who's about to, you know, or social services that's about to take her children or her ex-husband's lawyer, you know, no matter what they told me to make her do, I couldn't make her. But when I started sitting next to her, and one time I sat on her lap, but I worked with her for five years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she, was, she was telling me, she's like, I don't know how to rock a baby. And I'm like, let's, let's try. <laughs> so I'm like, get in your rocking chair. And I just went and plopped on her lap. And it was hysterical. And I do not recommend that all therapists do that. But it was, it's a good it tool was perfect for our relationship yeah. and perfect for her to really soften and be able to trust me and, and that kind of thing. And that was way into it. Um. But she did. She taught me that no one can make you heal because you told them they're worth healing for. You know, no one can. I can't save anyone's life because I tell them I'm here to save your life. And I never literally said that, you know. Right. Um, But when I just walked next to them, 
or sat next to them or on their lap. Um, inevitably, there was growth every single time. But when I wasn't walking next to them, when I was forcing them, so for 15 years, I worked in early childhood and mental health and my job in the county and another, another nearby county um, was to help all the children referred to me from prenatal until they entered kindergarten that had any kind of stressors, traumas, whatever. I, I can't remember exactly how they were referred to me, you know, physicians, teachers, whomever. Um, and in that time, I could get a child, you know, when they're three months old, that meant I had five years to work with the family. Right. Or I could get a child in April and they entered kindergarten in August. And in those moments, it was almost always a disaster because I was trying to push the parent to have a healthy relationship real quick before the child goes to kindergarten. Cause now, you know, now it's out of my hands or it's in the school's hands. And I had trusted people that I, I could refer them to, but there was always a big, big problem when I got those last minute referrals Yeah, that, you know, because I was shoving them toward healing. I can 100% relate just as a pole vault coach for the last 15 yeah. years. You know? <laughs> it's, yeah. I, I don't remember so my like coaching started in when I was 10 years old with karate. So I, mm-hmm. I've been kind of given this goofy gift where I've been teaching since I was, or coaching since I was 10. And I think it was uh, early in college. I was trying to make everybody a state champion and yeah. some of them just wanted to be there and hang out with their friends, you know? Yep. And I realized, um, I don't know if you felt this, but it felt like I was just dragging rocks all over the place. Yes. And then as soon as I let the rocks go, it gave me more energy to help the people who actually wanted, who had goals, you know, yeah. whereas like I already provided this space for you to hang out with your friends. You don't need my help anymore. Like, yeah, that's it. But these people, like I can give them the attention they need. And what mm-hmm. I found was that they, they progressed way faster and I felt better because my bucket was being filled instead of. Right. Like, and your emptied. gift can shine. Yeah. 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 Well, and the other kids who were there to be with their buddies or just hang out or, you know, like have an activity after school or after class or whatever, um, they are probably watching like, hey, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I want a little bit of coaching. That'd be cool. Yeah, or some, I don't. Some, Thank you. Leave us alone. We're good. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. that would change. Um, I th- but within me, I realized I was trying to make these kids do something that I wanted them to do instead of what they wanted yes. them to do. Yeah. And um, I still think about that almost with everything I do. I go, I, I mean, I wrote it in the book I wrote too. It's like, I can just show you the door and I can give mm-hmm. you all of the tools that I have. It's mm-hmm. up to you if you, how you use them and how you want to use them. And that's, yeah. I, I love what you said about you can't, like there isn't, a cookie cutter way. And that's where I Mm-mm. feel like I found a master in a space when they're like, I'm going to tell you the complete opposite of what the science or the textbooks say, because that's what you need to hear to get mm-hmm. to where you want to go. And, you know, like, yeah. I applaud you for that. Just that's no. just awesome. Yeah. There's no, there's no way, single way, or even like a, a basket full of ways to heal. Right. You know? So when one of the things that really, I'm going to say triggers me. And I know that's a really common word. So it's kind of bugging me lately, the word trigger, but yeah. <laughs> um, just because it's getting overused and it's not nearly appreciated for what it really means um, is when someone says, Oh, you should, 
you know, whatever it is, you know, try this restaurant, eat this steak, you know, go for a walk, whatever it is. As soon as someone tells me what is best for me, I'm out, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And when I could pull from that kind of like you with coaching, when you could pull from that, there was probably some level of, huh, that might've been part of your little tiny traumas. You know, someone was pushing you to do something you didn't want to do. And at some level, your brain was like, well, I need to, that's how you coach. That's how you do it. But then the other right part of your brain, not literally right, but the other (laughs) truth part of your brain was like, huh, this works. This works with people who want to participate. Yeah. But it doesn't work with people who don't want to participate or, you know, so we start to figure out all of these little dynamics, maybe, um, you know, what, what feels right when I pull from that and what feels wrong when I push what feel, you know, just, we start to figure that out. And I think that's where that sifting or like you said, throwing away the things that no longer matter. Which I've, I still find that extremely difficult, especially when the pole vault side of things where it helped me be extremely successful by living in this very uncomfortable place like right. most most of my life like um i got the same message you did about school you know where um i was told i was I was stupid when i was a kid where mm-hmm. they didn't know i had lithium poisoning so i missed half a year of school you know and didn't get oh, the same wow. education yeah. so there was all these like oh you're stupid and as i got mm-hmm. older you start to go i don't really th- yeah, think that was a whole story i just didn't do well on that one test you know right so but it, um, but that led me into getting a master's degree I didn't want, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm happy I did it, but I uh-huh. hated the entire process and mm-hmm. only did it to try and prove to someone who doesn't even know, um, doesn't even think about me anymore that sure. I'm not sure. stupid. Yeah. Yeah. And which oh, is... those colleges are just making tons of money off of So much this. money off of trauma. It's insane. <laughs> and it's funny because I'm going to be a professor starting this fall. Yeah, in trauma you, and neuroscience for a master's degree. Yeah, you said <laughs> so, you just wrote a course on that too, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm working on this working on right it. now. Yeah, of, I think my school days are over. I'm gonna It's bugging me. But <laughs> yeah. the only reason it's bugging me is because the course, this specific course, the other ones that I'm teaching are easy, like because yeah. the books are already set out, but this one's called um current trends in trauma and neuroscience. Okay. Well, so the trends are cha- changing daily. <laughs> right. So, no, now I want it to, now we need to talk about, Oh, nope, it, Nope. I mean, I'm just like chasing this around. So now I've kind of narrowed it down into seven different subtexts that. Yeah. I couldn't even really imagine dive into, but it feels like, especially with um, like mental health, everything is changing really fast right now. Like it's really fast. We just have so much access and I love it. And I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> I love that we can go to like the holistic psychologist and see her stuff right now. We can save her stuff on our phone. We can download, we can buy her book. I love that yeah. because now if I need to heal while we're driving to Colorado, I can heal while I'm driving to Colorado. I don't have to force my husband to listen to a podcast. Or, right. you know, I want to heal. So you should too. You know, I don't want to do that. So everything's right there. And then the other side of it is there's a lot of really bad misinformation out there. Yeah. Um, And I think it's 
creating different opportunities for trauma to occur. Exactly. Yeah. Th- you know? And that's why I'm doing it this way. You know, um, mm-hmm. I mean, I could just regurgitate stuff, regurgitate stuff I read, but like, that's not going to help anybody because I might not be saying it right. Or I'm not an expert by yeah. any means. So I want to talk to the experts, you know? Well, when I tell you, you can, you can become, that's a piece that I do love though, is you can become an expert in you and that's going to help other people because same with yeah. that book. She didn't, she is a PhD psychologist. True. Right. But you can tell none of what she learned and what she provided to other people helped. It wasn't until she became the expert in her own healing that now she's helping probably hundreds of thousands. I know she has a couple million followers. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And and it's so well written and mixed with the science and like, we don't Mm -hmm. have the science here yet, but that's kind of where it's coming. And Mm -hmm. for me, I I grew up very sciencey. I wanted to know the answers and there was Mm -hmm. like no emotion, just science and logic. That's, (laughs) that's it. And then uh, when I tried the Zen thing that was completely outside of my comfort zone and there wasn't a ton of research on it yet. Like when I did that and now like the research is popping up about like mindfulness is everywhere. Mindfulness in the default mode network. And that's, Mm -hmm. I still don't have my mind wrapped around that yet, but it seems like that's a place where um, there's a lot of cool research going on too. You know, do you, do you, look into that at all or know much about default mode network and what that has to do with mental health i, I just thought i'd ask now i need to add it to myself no no thing. worries <laughs> no i was just, it's it's fascinating but um it is i but i do i love all of it and i love that the science can see our brains now yes see our yes. like hear and experience what's going on and when i say here like the tones or whatever start to light up and all of that, like the, the Amen clinics that I mentioned in my email. Oh my gosh, Dr. Amen. I followed him forever. And now all of his stuff is like so widely. That's awesome. Like I had his website saved or starred so I could get to it easier, you know, back before there was the Instagram and the Facebook and all of that. And I used to stare, I used to print off some of his specced images when parents would come in and say, you know, oh my gosh, my, my child has lithium poisoning and what do I do? And I find a spec image of a healthy yeah. 12-year-old brain and a 12-year-old brain that has lithium poisoning and say, here we go. This is what we're going to work on. What do you, okay. So I had, li- I had, li- I, had li- I had lithium poisoning. Like, I know you just right? said it. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I just got to, does that, your brain can heal from that, I hope. Right. Or yeah. can you still see if there's any damage from that? If yep. say I was to get a scan, I could go yeah. do that and right he now. just opened um, a new clinic. I think he has one in Dallas and just opened one in Austin or had one in Austin, just opened one in Dallas. He lives in California, but um he shows on his Instagram, even like there just, I think it was this week or last week, an 80 year old man who was starting to have some dementia or some memory loss. And you can see where all the holes are in the brain. And then after like two months of doing these different exercises and where they were starting to heal up, I mean, his, his spec imaging is just incredible. So it was fun to all those or, it was fun to, you know, print them off and show them to my kids. Like, don't do drugs. Look. <laughs> yeah, you can see it. That, Here it is. That's been the hardest for me growing up was um, it, 
felt like a boogeyman that was always there, right? Because mm-hmm. nobody had a picture of my brain or this is what we're mm-hmm. healing. And then you can see it actually changing. You know, it was like, we're just going to throw a bunch of pills at you. Oh, and then uh, three to six weeks, we'll see if they work. And if they don't, we'll throw some new pills at you. And then another yeah. three to six yeah. weeks. I we'll used throw to call it yeah, the diagnosis cocktail. Yeah, it's it was horrible. And, and that, that probably screwed me up a little bit because I remember going to a therapist one time and going, I just feel like I'm a guinea pig with you guys. Like... Um, it, it doesn't, it didn't feel like they knew what they were doing, especially with yeah. chi- childhood depression at the time. Wasn't very well. That's why I was on lithium. They gave me yeah. an adult dose of lithium, which is like, yeah, that just it blows my mind, but it doesn't because I saw it happening all the time in the hospital. I worked yeah, in and all the time. It also created a mistrust with the system, you know? Mm-hmm. So the last thing me, my mom and I talk about this a lot. She's like, just we, we need to find a good therapist. I'm like, we've been trying to find a good therapist for 30 years. You know, like, yeah. I, I think, I your think mom I'm, might be the one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, and, With some and, healthy boundaries, she might be the one. Yeah, yeah. And she's, she's fantastic. But it, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, again, another reason I'm doing this is I need to get outside of that system because yeah. obviously I'm still struggling. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, not, I mean, not yeah. so much that, but so much getting outside of the system. Yeah. Um, and I, I was, so I think this is maybe is what uh, was kind of bubbling up in me because I'm applying for a PhD program and all of this. And when I was driving this morning and I was describing that earlier, I, as I was thinking about the PhD program, I'm like, why do I even want, like, why would I do this now? You know, what's, what's the deal? What am I trying to accomplish? And I had this memory when I was getting my master's and doing all of my clinical supervision, I very deliberately did not get my clinical license at the end of all the hours I needed, all the paperwork I needed, all of everything, um, passed the test with ease, right? Mm -hmm. I refused to get it. And in Kansas, if you have your C, your clinical license, then you can diagnose, you can collect insurance, you can do all these things. You can only collect paychecks if you diagnose. And I have never, and when I say believe in diagnoses, I want to be really clear that I don't think they're trash. I think there's definite needs for it, but not for everyone who walked through my door. Right. And in fact, across the years of serving people, there were very few people who would actually warrant a clinical diagnosis. Very, very few. But yet when I worked in the hospital setting, 100% of them had a clinical diagnosis. And so back then that was, I finished my master's in 97. So I don't know if you were born yet. Yeah. (laughs) I'm joking. My son was. No, I I look like a baby. I was born in 85. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so I was almost out of high school when you were born. Um, I'm just joking around because I knew that you're, you had to be a little bit older than myself yeah, right. if you had your master's degree. But <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, he attended. He was born in March and I graduated in May. <laughs> so okay. he, he yeah, got to yeah. get his master's degree for six weeks. Wow. Um, <laughs> but at that time, I just remember thinking so clearly that people don't need a diagnosis. They need people. But that was so against everything back then. Like I literally had to go into a position of a nonprofit agency where I was the single service provider. 
and that it was written into the grant specifically that these were the children who fall between the cracks. So they don't qualify for diagnosis, but they can't really stay in their home or their childcare or wherever, but there was something going on. And I'm, why I bring this up is I'm just really, really proud of myself for not going down that route when that's what every single person around me was doing. And so why I questioned myself this morning was, am I getting my PhD as kind of my clinical? (laughs) Or am I getting it because I want to do more research and I want to know more? Um, I want to serve in a, a better and a deeper way. And I think also I have a little bit of a passive aggressive desire to switch service providing or how we respond to people. Okay. Um, so my research is relationships over research, like, yeah. which is the funniest oxymoron ever. Like that's what I want to really look into is how people heal when they have a relationship versus how they heal when they are, you know, maybe it's doing the 12 steps, which pills, yeah, yeah, yeah or pills it. or, you know, walk a mile every day or however much sunlight or, you know, changing out your light bulbs. And a lot of that is super, super effective. But what has been almost 100% effective is when they're in a good, deep, close, vulnerable relationship with someone. They don't need any of the other stuff. Man, you're speaking Did my language know? now. Like I've, I feel like I've kind of, I don't know, figured it out, but had in the little bit of intuition I get, feel like I get to like tap into is that it's like, it's all about connection, like mm-hmm. almost always. And like the first time I had that was like that click in my head with mental health was I was in the hospital, um, uh, an outpatient program in grad school. And I remember day one, like you're at the, you're in a really bad place if you have to be in an outpatient program. Yeah. But I remember other people sounding exactly like me and like the same thoughts in their head. And I felt this insane peace that it was, and I hate to say like misfit toys, but that's kind of what it felt like. Like Mm -hmm. I wasn't supposed to feel better in that situation or supposed to, but I 100% did just because I could relate to everyone else there. You know, it it was crazy. Yeah. That's what, um, when you were describing that you couldn't pinpoint one trauma or like a big trauma or an event or something like that, I thought. I bet, and this is just me projecting a bunch of old stories onto you from kids that I'd worked with back in the day. But my initial thought was, I bet there was a lot of teasing or pulling away from, or, oh, I don't know what's going on with Sean and just their energy doing that. Yeah. And those kinds of things are the trauma, you know, those when we can't help that we have brown eyes, for example, I remember my son coming home from school once and he was getting teased um, about being something, you know, he was a swimmer forever. And so all these kids in middle school would say, Oh, you're so gay. You're so gay. Um, He was really upset about it. And middle school is not the safest place. Anyway, (laughs) I've joked that all children should be, should stay at home from 12 until 15. No, no questions. (laughs) Yeah. Middle school is rough for Um, me too. Yeah. You may not be around anyone else your age for those three years. Um, And I said to him, I said, well, first of all, and I don't mean, I don't want to put his private information out there, but I said, are you gay? And he said, 
no. And I said, okay. So if they would have come up to you, he has really bright blue eyes. Said if they would have come up to you and went, ooh, gross, brown eyes, gross, what would you have done? And he goes, well, I don't have brown eyes. And I said, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's perfect. But we hear people tell us who they think we are based on their own discomfort. And all of those are these little traumas. And they don't know they're doing it. Um, you know, I was talking with a mom recently who was really upset about her. Hey, Batman. Um, <laughs> my son loves Batman, by the way. That's why my dog's name is Bruce. Oh, they, that's um, even better. <laughs> anyway, he, uh, this mom was talking about her son and how he got in trouble. He's in middle school, by the way. Yeah. Um, and how he got in trouble. And she was just embarrassed and all of this. And I'm like, why are you embarrassed? And she said, because he said this. And I go, so, you know, and this is someone I'm really close with. And I said, so what if he said that? It was a very 14 year old boy thing to say, right? Um, you know, kind of mouthy and, and impulsive kind of a thing. Um, didn't harm anyone else, but himself was just being kind of dumb. And she goes, well, now all these kids are going to think he's blah, 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 or he's blah, blah, blah. And I said, why? And there were thoughts that have never entered my mind. And she said, they just will. When kids behave like that, everyone thinks they're whatever, you know? And I said, well, then that's their parents' problem. That's not your problem. They're learning that from someone else who is making this judgment. And you could kind of hear the, oh, oh, I'm doing that judgment. Yeah. So then I'm assuming everyone else is doing that judgment. But when I sit back and go, wow, he must've been pretty pissed to say that in front of his whole class. You know, now I'm, I'm walking beside him yeah. instead yeah. of, again, like either shoving him out there, being in front of him, you know, shaking my finger, or whatever. Hmm. Um, those are all those tiny little traumas. And I just think middle school is the most traumatic thing ever. Even if you have the most joyous, high, the most joyous childhood, you get to 12 years old and it's over. Yeah. <laughs> For me, it all came to a head. It was like, um, Fifth grade was when the lithium poisoning came. So I was a little behind like academic. I had a tutor for two months to try and catch up for a whole year's worth of school, you know? And then no, that no, was a no whole nother weird thing where you're like, I don't know if school's that important if I can figure yeah. all this out in two months, you know? <laughs> I hope you like your tutor. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, like sixth and seventh grade, and we were still trying to figure out because obviously I was off of lithium and stuff was going on, you know? And so I ended up being hospitalized for the first time in seventh grade, but that was middle school again. And, you know, if you're mm -hmm. missing a lot of school and sleeping in class, you know, you're a weird kid because yeah. you haven't slept for four days and, you know, and just, now you've crashed. Yeah. yeah. It was a huge nightmare. And yeah, I, I, I yeah, I don't, sometimes I look back, I don't know how I survived middle school, but mm -hmm. I think you hit the nail on the head that, you know, like, even as you're saying that too, it's, it's, I think of that ego awareness has been very, powerful and i know ego gets kind of thrown out with mm -hmm. weird terms too but that sense of self and going you know i don't need to that guy's just trying to protect me or girl or whatever yeah. you want that's yeah. how i have to look at it now is i tried to kill it for many years and that mm -hmm. it wasn't going anywhere yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think right. everyone tries to kill their ego and get rid of it they and i'm like come right along yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now i just i'm like i'm grateful it's there i just it's almost like that filtering thing again where mm -hmm. you're like i don't I don't need you for this. I, I, I can yeah. grab the wheel kind of a thing. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 
he called me big brown eyes and I have brown eyes. So that's okay. I don't have to fight him for that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) "Mm -hmm, I got this. It is really interesting. And I, I think the part of healing across the lifespan, like, I don't think there's ever a point, and this is something that I had to come to terms with this last year. I had a, a pretty big um, break, I guess you, you would call it. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know what to do with myself anymore, like most people in the United States this last year, right? Yeah, like, it was rough. Especially yeah. those first six weeks when we all just stopped. Like, like what? You know? Yeah, what am I supposed to do with my time now? Yeah, yeah what do I do? And I've always been so good at my job. So who am I if I'm not good at my job and I can't do a job and I can't do a job because I go to schools and I go to mental health centers and I go and do all these things around the United States. Now I don't have the United States and I don't have my job. So what do I have? Um, And you take, or not, I took in that moment, this approach of, If I heal myself, let's say I get to this, you know, Deepak Chopra kind of (laughs) level, then what? That that is not my goal. That is not who I was created to be. I wasn't created to be peace-filled all of the time. I was created to have all of the emotions and at times have some of those emotions be really huge and really intense in order, I think, for a few things to feel them because I think that's very important for us as humans is to be able to feel them very wholly and purely. Um, But then also to be able to help other people because if I'm not feeling or, you know, if I'm shoving them down or pretending I don't have them like I did for many, many years, then how am I helping anyone? I'm shoving research in their face or I'm saying exercise more, drink more water or whatever it is, which I 100% believe in. Yeah. But I'm not helping them because they're having their, their feelings or these big strong emotions where they don't know what to do with them anymore. Um, and I did. So last fall and very few people know this, but I don't know who's going to listen eventually. (laughs) Everybody will know who listens. Um, Last fall or late last summer, I decided to start an antidepressant for the first time in my life and got, you know, after the first month, I'm like, well, this is kind of nice. And after the second month, I'm like, I can breathe really nice. And after the third month, I'm like, where did I go? What happened to me? Like, I, I haven't cried. You know, we, we lost a neighbor to COVID and I was like, wow, like literally someone that I lived next to for 18 years. Yeah. Sensitive, sensitive kid. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) So about three months into it, when I felt bliss, I, and I had started cutting them in half because I knew it was a little bit (laughs) And there was the smallest dose that I could be on of whatever it was. I started cutting them in half just to see if I could find myself again. And the, the deepness that I hold in my being. And so by the time four months was over, I had started weaning myself off. And at the end of five months, I was completely off of them. Hmm. And I felt this huge celebration the first time I cried. Like, there I am. Oh my gosh, I've been missing this. But it was just such a feeling of, 
And, and I needed that to experience that. I needed those antidepressants at that time, yeah. especially because I really didn't know anything about anything. Um, I knew who I'm loved by. I knew who I love. I knew um, about life and, and what my gifts are, but everything felt very distant, I guess. Yeah. I, I describe it as flat. You know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I got it, but it didn't have any color. Fla- yeah. Flavor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And so um, when I talked to my physician and I started those, she said, I'm going to start you on the lowest dose. And I was like, that's awesome because I don't know what I'm doing. And I don't typically take any kind of medication, right? Like I'll, I need to hear a lot of results on that vitamin E before you, yeah. really hurt, you know, <laughs> right. um, I'm not a fan. <laughs> so, um, so I went on them and I'm so grateful that I did because now when I have a big, huge emotion, I'm like, there you are. Where have you been? You didn't have to wait until you got so big. You could have showed up, you know, like yeah. embracing that in a way I have never embraced. And you get to relate to your clients in a different way too, oh, I would imagine, right? Completely. Yeah. And just also being able to um, relate to myself in a different way. Yeah. Because I felt so broken for 51 years, right? Like right. just so, so broken. And it, when I started missing the broken me, then I knew, oh, not so broken after all. Like, oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like, totally whole, you know, and sure, pieces are missing. Like, <laughs> I totally, yeah. I, I still am just a, you know, class. This, this is kind of like when I watch people pole vault, I'm so <laughs> jealous. And I, every time, you know, your video recently with, um, the guys going back and forth, breaking the indoor record. Oh yeah. And Casey that. and Mondo. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. My husband, I just sat here and watched it. And whenever they, you know, when they get just on the other side of the bar and start to fall, I'm always like, yeah, it's, <laughs> I can it's feel a, it, but I'll never feel it. <laughs> it's the weirdest sport. And I remember starting, um, we're going, I'm going off a little bit of a different road, but I remember start yeah. and this is kind of important because I remember starting because I was like, that just looks like fun. Yeah. I did it for no other reason besides fun. Mm-hmm. And then I quit because it wasn't fun anymore. Like it, yeah. and then you're, as you were talking about your identity gets tied into it. And then stopping mm-hmm. pole vault was this massively, it was the worst breakup I ever had, you know, mm-hmm. where I hated the sport, but I forgot why I loved it at the same time. And, yeah. you know, with the vlog, it like people knew me because of that. And I was the only guy making YouTube videos or any videos mm-hmm. about it for that matter. And like starting over with, and that's, it was right after that when I started the Zen thing. Cause I was like, I'm not in a good place. I need to figure yeah. this out. And then the ego thing was kind of crazy. Cause it's like, you're Sean Francis, the pole vaulter, the guy wears a green shirt all the time, you know, mm-hmm. with Yankees hat. And then it would became this like, Oh, this is just something I do. This, that's not who I am. Yeah. And then the, the investigation and the curiosity went to, well, who am I? And then that's where I started chopping stuff away. And that, it it's it opens up a whole new world when you start doing that and oh so much i can 100% relate to you about um like the meds thing too because i've i've wrestled i've been on them and off them for years mm-hmm. and i i know i want to get to this point where like like the zen buddhist guy up there mm-hmm. where i have the tools where if things get kind of fishy and rocky that i know how to navigate it instead of just get washed away you know, mm-hmm. if, if that makes sense. So totally. right now I'm on antidepressant, just one. 
at very small dose too because i'm like what's mm-hmm. the bare minimum i can take right. while still developing these skills and tools so then hopefully i can just be off them and then poof, we're we're rowing yeah. across the ocean again <laughs> right, <laughs> right. well yeah. and what if you go off of them and you have a big emotion you know and i'm not trying to minimize but oh no what? yeah so no what? exactly you know like what is what does that mean? Because yeah, but that's the skill. That okay? Yeah, that that's the skill and awareness I, I'm still working on. And mm-hmm. I feel like even just talking to people like you, it's helping. It's almost like that's the safe space because there is so much crappy information out there. You start to go, maybe I just need to meditate for five hours a day and then go on a run for four hours. You know, like yeah, sure. <laughs> that's well, what they say. And <laughs> yeah. And you're like, that. no, you you need to listen to your body and what you're mm-hmm. doing and everyone else that works for them, but I'm not that person. And yeah. so here, even you just reinforcing things I might've already heard and giving me new things to chew on. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's been very helpful for me. And I hope like people listening, it's helpful for them too, that they're yeah, like, same here. Yeah. Same here. And I know I don't, I don't offer a ton of tools you know, I think that's for us to kind of figure out. Yeah. Um, maybe it's a caveman approach. I don't know. But <laughs> I just, I don't offer a ton of tools other than just being with. Um, and, but I'm also pretty selective in who I'll be with. Yeah. You know, I'm not just going to be with the guy in the grocery store, maybe 20 <laughs> years ago, but right. anymore, I'm like, dude, you got to get your shit together. <laughs> you know, right. You're yelling at the, at the bees because you can't reach them or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Um, and I don't blow people off either. No, I'm, really I'm with you. But those emotions can be tricky, you know. And uh-huh. if I've learned anything over the past, you know, since I've been on this, I, th- I would say 2012 in that grad school mental health kind of hole was like mm-hmm. where I exploded and was like, oh, the most vulnerable place I've ever been and the most mm-hmm. change I went to in the, mo- the quickest that's where it all kind of started and it's still kind of pushing me in that way. It was just like yeah. a, a bomb, but it, you know, I've, I've explained it because opening up about it um, publicly, people reach out mm-hmm. to me and I want to, first I want to know like where I can send people. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm not an expert by any means, but I've always explained it. And, and I hope I'm not doing a disservice here but it's kind of like the the x-men i don't know if you're a marvel fan or anything but no, everybody but my husband and my son are so inadvertently you see you might you might this might you might understand this then but they all have these superpowers and when they go to the school with you know professor xavier to, they're all blowing stuff up around them and they're hurting their friends because they don't know how to use those powers and right. i i don't know when that tweak happened to me but i looked at depression like a and I call it depression. I know it's just a bundle of symptoms, but whatever it is that's causing it is it, it's like a superpower. And if I can learn how to harness it, it's going to do more good than um, self-destruction, I guess you could exactly. say. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's how I've been trying to look at it. And that's how I try and explain it to people. And I hope it gives them a little bit of relief when they're like, I love that. Yeah. I love that. And then when you said like an explosion, the first thing I thought of was like, you know, the, the nuclear bomb mushroom yeah. <laughs> and then how it goes. Whoosh. Yeah. It yeah, lights like up. You, yeah. I just pictured you, as you said, that was, you know, that time was like an explosion and everything since then has been kind of pushing me out there. You know, I pictured like a cartoon, you like being pushed by yeah. the mushroom cloud. <laughs> it feels <laughs> like that. You. Yeah. It's okay. Fine, it's I'll wild. Move. Yeah. 
but I do, I think the, the vulnerability of all of it, it's so incredibly scary. I think vulnerability, we just don't know. And like how people are going to respond, but that's the other beautiful piece is if they want the information and if they want to grow, they're already open. They're already growing. Yeah. If they don't want it and they don't want to grow, they don't listen to the podcast. They don't watch the video. They don't come to practice. They don't, whatever. Not our problem. Right. (laughs) Yeah. The the first time I talked about it, about my mental health was a a vlog in 2014. Like the pull-up vlog I have this, I almost I wrestle with it all the time. There's almost like this heightened version of me, like a character. It's like, welcome to the pull-up vlog. My name is Sean Francis, and my hands are yeah. always kind of coming sure. in the camera and stuff. And I couldn't do it that week. I was in a in a low, and instead of putting on the show, I just mm-hmm. was like, I just don't care. Talk. Yeah, mm-hmm. I need people to know. And then uh, I didn't look at comments or the v- video for uh, I would say a week or two afterwards. I just was like. It was terrifying. I was like, I can't believe I put that out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My yeah. deepest, darkest yeah. secret right. where, you know, you get put into a special class in middle school because you have bipolar. They say you have bipolar. And then later I find out I don't have bipolar. You know, it's this yeah. weird yeah. thing. And, and you know, the stigma behind it I'm too, ob- so obviously. I'm trying so hard to roll my eyes and I just saw no, you're, it's, totally it's, across your screen. It's true. Yeah. But the moment I started talking about it, there's like a quote by Marion Williams, uh, where it's like, um, how does it go? I used to listen to it all the time, but it's like our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure kind of yep. an idea. And yep. then it said, uh, when you let your own light shine, you unconsciously give other people permission to shine. And I think about that line all of the time that you know people might not get this, but if it allows someone else to open up and drop some of this weight off them mm-hmm. or know that that connection piece, if there's someone else that can just go, oh, I can... He's you're got not it. alone. Yeah, you're, you're not just alone. Another, yeah, you're yeah. just another, you know, what? how did you refer to you and all the kids at the hospital? Yeah. like Weirdos uh, or something. You know? Yeah, misfit toys, you know. Just, yeah, misfit toys. <laughs> yeah. Right. You're, we're all just a bunch of misfit toys. Yeah. Every last one of us. You know, my husband, we have one of those uh, word boards in our kitchen where you can change up the things. Yeah. And his favorite, our pastor said this years and years ago, and he just thought it was the funniest thing. But everybody's normal until you get to know them. Right. You know, and he loves that statement because as soon as someone shows him they're weird, like their little weird, funky thing in them, he's like, there we are. Yeah. <laughs> Been waiting for that to come exactly. out. Exactly. <laughs> That's my favorite part of people, actually, the yeah. the goofiness. Yeah. Don't yeah, show I've, me your perfectness. That's yeah. awesome. That's <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's too predictable for me. I <laughs> right. hate predictability. Um, yeah, it's strange. Yeah. I, I've, I, I've also said it's like that skeleton that's in, in everyone's closet. Like if you just show your skeleton, to other people lift theirs out and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden there's nothing left to hide from anymore. Yeah. Just leave the closet door open. They'll leave it open. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Oh, yeah, yeah. That came full circle perfectly about just connection. <laughs> it, is all it seems so simple. Like I, I don't know when or where we start to lose that. And that's where it, it might be just that conditioning and, and thinking and maybe there's just not awareness and mm-hmm. parents are because it seems like when I look at a kid and they're like my favorite to be around up until like I love all kids but like yeah it, until like six they're my and younger two to six they're at my absolute favorite because there's no yep. filter they're just 100 percent that themselves is, that's the age I work with yeah I, like I from the moment they come out of the hospital until like first or second grade yeah it, I don't know what it is. And I've read some things that, you know, you're 
sense of self doesn't start developing until like six or seven yeah. or maybe well, closer like eight to 10 years, eight to 10. Like okay. really awareness. Yeah. Okay. So maybe, maybe that's what it is. That's when they're most, mm-hmm. whatever they they're, they're, it's just their soul interacting with the world or yes. whatever you want to call it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not super religious, but the Zen, you know, guys called Buddha nature. And so it's mm-hmm. all the saying the same thing. It's just like, yes. what is yeah. that? The core, the core. Yeah. 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 The realness of who you're created to be. I know. I love, that's why I love them. I feel like it pulls it out of me then. And then it's mm-hmm. like, well, it's easier to connect with that. You know, right. I don't want to talk about politics at Thanksgiving. I want to go hang around with a six year old. Yeah. Let's go see. <laughs> Can you jump your bike higher than mine? You yeah, know? <laughs> exactly. I absolutely love it. And I love, um, but that is when it stops and, and something happens. And I, my gut belief, and I don't know that this is real and there's probably yeah. some research out there, but I've never checked for it. My gut belief is that the adults in the child's life, whether it's teachers or parents or grandparents or neighbors, whomever, any of the adults in the child's life, that around six, seven, eight years old, kids start doing things that they need correction for. And then they do things that the adults think they need correction for. So like when my four-year-old grandson is really mad and he goes, I, I hate you. Or he, I, that's not what he says. He says, Oh, I don't like you right now, but he says it in a really, Ugh. and at four and a half, that's, that's pretty honest. Yeah. At six, we start to go, Hmm, that was kind of hurtful. At eight, we're thinking, who taught you that? At 10, you have issues. Like, that's the adult's problem. Because no matter, even if I tell you right now at your age and me at my age, I don't like you right now. That's pretty honest. That's okay to say because I'm not getting my way or you're not responding to something I've requested or whatever it may be. Um, But society has taught us, I think, especially Western, you know, in the United States, that children have to behave a certain way. And when they don't, they're broken. Rather than looking at the adult going, what exactly are you expecting of a six-year-old? <laughs> or, you know, or a foster parent who's, you know, the foster child is misbehaving and they're like, we provided him a safe home. Why is he doing this? <laughs> it's like, mm. like, we're expecting something. And that is the part that I, I really... I really struggle with, and I also am super curious about, because what happens to us as the grown-up that says that that's right? Can we not go back to when we were six or when we were eight or we were 10 or whatever it is and go, I didn't like that, so I'm going to respond different. But instead, that all lies in this part of our brain, in that survival part of our brain, that when we hear it, we think we have to give it. And it's just not true. That's the hardest part. I feel is people that awareness. I, I and I hate to say people don't have it, but there I see a lot of reactive people instead of people questioning mm-hmm. why they do the things yeah. they do. And I've always had that in me, and mm-hmm. it it's got me in trouble. But for some reason, it survived. Yeah. <laughs> you well, got you in trouble because the adults didn't like it, right? Not because I, you were wrong. Oh, exactly. Uh, yeah. I was I was just in Washington last week with a friend and we were talking about our poor school um, experiences and how she corrected a teacher once because the 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 capital of the city she, she was in was wrong, but she was just there two weeks prior, so she knew it. 
but that mm-hmm. she got in trouble even though the teacher was wrong. Yep. And so that our son that was our son's entire childhood. Yeah. Yeah, but you should never correct the teacher. You know, that's the message well, we were getting. Wrong. Like Yeah, I mean and I they were yeah. wrong. The teacher was mm-hmm. wrong and she still got in trouble for back talking and speaking yeah. up. So then yeah. it she's like it just I never raised my hand ever again after that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's I Kills shut down in school cuz I had a teacher who did the this I hope hopefully this aged out before you were in elementary school, but we at my age they would write your name on the board for the first warning and then they put a check mark next to it for the second warning I had and that, another yeah. check mark and so on. And this was in third grade. And I walked in one day and my name was already on the board. Wow. I hadn't even been there. And I remember just seeing it and being like, like, here I am, however many years later. And I can picture it. I can picture her script handwriting. I can exactly where it was located on the board. And that's some of those tiny traumas that just build after a while. Like this Mm -hmm. grown up thinks I'm so awful that when I'm not here, she wants to punish me. And right. she wants me to feel so bad. And you know what my thing was? Talking. And and now I, for the longest time, I wanted to go back to her and go, I get paid to talk for a living now, <laughs> by the way. Just right. FYI. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of funny. And she was the, the volunteer grandma in my daughter's preschool when my daughter was four. And I remember walking in and being like, oh, crap. <laughs> like, oh, no, she's going to give my daughter a hard time. But. Of course, you know, however many years had passed, 30 years or whatever, 20 years had passed. And she was the sweetest little old woman. And, but it really harmed me at third grade. Oh yeah. Thinking that someone already thought that low of me that I would never be able to behave. So I might as well just start out with a check mark against me. This, so I've been trying to like, is there a good age to start helping a kid have that self-awareness you know i know um i've I've talked to a few people who said there's programs where instead of punishing a child they have them meditate now or do some mindfulness exercises mm-hmm. a lot of and i love that idea i mm-hmm. it's everything about it I, I i wish i could put it into words i just i can just feel how powerful that would be for a child to start that developing that self-awareness and separation between yourself and behaviors and thoughts and and Mm -hmm. feelings like that. Is is there anything else going on like that, that you're aware of working with kids? You know, I, I start them at birth. I mean, when I'm working with a family, like when a child becomes dysregulated with their emotions, whether they're six months old and feeling frustrated because they can't reach a block or something like that just teaching the parent to sit next to them and just go. Hmm. So it's the download of calm to the child. Not that we're taking away that emotion, but we might even, you know, if, if we want them to experience the emotion, we might even say, Oh, it's hard to get that block and just leave it, you know, just let it be what it's going to be. And the same, you know, when they get to two and they're, trying to do something and they think they could do it themselves, like pour the juice or whatever and it spills all over. And we might feel frustration. They might feel frustration. And then just to say that, this is really frustrating. You thought you could do it yourself. And so did I, let's get a rag. Like just so matter of fact, yeah. I think it starts through birth. And then if it didn't start at birth, then it starts wherever they are. 
you know, if they're in their master's program and like, right. why am I getting this master's degree? <laughs> you know, then we meet you right there. And we're yeah. like, well, I don't know. Sounds overwhelming. <laughs> you know, like, why are you getting your master's degree? And let's, right. let's figure that out and the stories that go along with it. But I think the longer we go, the more stories we have. Yeah, there's that, more, you know? like with, with my analogy, there's more stuff to cut off, you know, yes. it just seems like it's taking yeah. longer, longer to get back. Yeah, but know? when we do it when they're tiny, then those stories, you know, we put those stories there um, in a pure way so that they can delineate themselves from other people and themselves from their emotions or embrace their emotions, depending on whoever they are. So, so I imagine like a... I used to get the, you better stop your crying or I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah, I got that quite a bit. (laughs) And I think I was probably 12 or 13 and I can just picture it so clearly. And I'm so thankful he didn't throw me across the room because I probably would have my kid. (laughs) But my dad said that and I looked at him in all of my, you know, tough 12, I'm the tiniest little 12 year old. And I just said, I obviously have something to cry about. And I look back at that and I'm like, dang. I knew exactly what I needed, yeah, but I didn't yeah. know how to, how to get it, you know? Right. So when we teach it earlier, then when someone says, um, stop your crying or I'll give you something to cry about, we can turn to them and be like, I'm sad. <laughs> I have something to cry about, or I'm disappointed or whatever it may be. Um, I, yeah, I don't think there's a time, a perfect time. I think it's yeah. any time, anytime the person is open. I just know little ones are open. Yeah. So it seems like the parents are just as important though at at that point. So, which, you know, I, I used, and I, I used to joke about this, but I think it's kind of true that there there should be like a parenting license in a way, (laughs) you know, like you have to go through a class. I mean, you have to drive your car and you can, you know, hurt other people. You, You might hurt your kid. I know it's very internal instinct, but our society doesn't feel very natural to, to me. It doesn't. Right. Yeah. And so I don't know if we're in tune with as as much as we were when we didn't have this giant society and businesses and jobs and money and I don't know, think we credit are. and I don't internet think we're anywhere close. Yeah. You know, when you look back, you know, however many four or five generations and all of those mamas were baby wearing because that's how you had to work in the garden and fix the meals to put yeah. that baby on you. You couldn't put it in a car seat across or the road. daycare. Yeah. And you or daycare. See. Yeah you wore the baby and now it's like this trend. And I'm like, it's not a trend. It's called love and attachment. And, you know, like this is, this is what we do to help babies feel healthy or feel attached or, or connected or whatever we want to call it. And there's so many pictures of grandmas and great grandmas and great, great grandmas of babies were attached to them. Yeah. At what point did we decide? My mom said this to me when my son was probably a year old. She said, "Um, you need to put him down or he's going to, you know, he's going to get spoiled. And I'm like, with what? What's he going to get spoiled with? (laughs) She goes, well, I don't know. I'm like, you're just saying something that was said to you. (laughs) There's literally nothing. (laughs) I was just holding him. You know, I, um, I didn't use car seats for my kid, like the carriers for either yeah. one of my kids, I did the permanent one that stayed in there so that they would always be held. If they weren't in the car seat, someone would be holding them mm-hmm. um, rather than in a, you know, um, I've heard people call them buckets before rather than putting my baby in a bucket or whatever. 
And it sure would have been easier when I had my second one, if I would have, you know, had her in something else. <laughs> right. I'm holding on to this one and holding this one here. Um, so it is, it's society has decided and lots of researchers along the way, you know, that, you know, we need to sleep train them or, and sleep train in a different way. There's new forms of sleep training that I don't know enough about, but like the old cry to sleep kind mm-hmm. of thing. And, um, you know, we have, so we have kids that were raised on that generation. And now we have this new kind of generation about the holding and the co-sleeping and all of these other things. And I'm thinking we're doing this cycle and it becomes more and more confusing for us when we have kids, you, when you have kids, like, so what is the best way? Because this happened for me and I don't know if that was the best way and this happened for them. And I was, I'm kind of, I'm very visual and thinking structures, I think. Mm-hmm. That's how I see it. I know I think in structures, but it, yeah. it always felt kind of like, you know, this is kind of going on, but, yes. you know, it's getting smaller every time it goes up to, mm-hmm. it's going to figure itself out. I mean, it feels the same way with organic eating and, and we're back to farming and, you know, yes. that type yeah. of thing in and, you know, not eating three meals a day anymore. There's other thoughts of doing, you know, intermittent fasting and that's mm-hmm. finding some science with that. And that's, I, I get the same vibe when it comes to parenting, which when Completely. I heard, I heard, I think it was my mom or maybe it was, I don't know. I feel like I'm behind the curve of all my friends having kids, like they've already had them. So maybe it was them who said it, but you, you know, it seemed like they were trying all the new science research stuff because there's got to be something better, almost that idea. And now they're realizing, well, we missed something. And that's, that's kind of the beauty in the holes in science that I've found that's been extremely painful because I thought science had all the answers all the time, Mm -hmm. but it's so far behind and it only, it moves so slow. That's, that's been the hardest part, but yeah, it, it it really does come back to what we were talking about at the very beginning of just listening to yourself because you mm-hmm. probably know exactly what you need or the child needs Every in that moment. Time. That's yeah. the craziest thing. There is never in the history of children where a child needs to be hit. Right. Like, and spanking right. is a form of hitting. But when you think about it, like if a child is is wanting something, they were playing with it and their sister comes and takes it out of their hand. And so they hit their sister for taking it out of their hand. And now their parent grabs them and hits them for hitting their sister for taking it out of their hand. That didn't teach anything. No. There's never, but if you're like, man, your sister just came and took that, you know, tell her, I want that back. Or look at the sister and say, ask him for a turn. Right. Now right. you're teaching, you know, and you're meeting them exactly where they are. But when we have this, you need to spank your kid more. Well, if he just got a good spanking from his parents, he wouldn't behave like this in school. And, you know, all these different things I'm like, or if we met them where they are, instead of trying to get this four-year-old to jump up to where I am, you know, yeah, magically yeah. uh, develop or whatever to where I am, then we're going to have some healing and we're going to get it right almost every single time. I mean, we're still human. So we're right. going to drop the F-bomb and then they're going to say it and you know, my grandson says. Yeah, yeah. I mean, trauma isn't avoidable. You know, that's mm-hmm. been a hard one for me in the last three years to wrap my mind. If I can figure out what all my trauma is, I can just get rid of it. And then all of a sudden there's like 15 new ones kind of yeah, lumping up. So just, yeah. it it 
really comes for, for me personally, just goes back to like in this present moment, what am I experiencing? And then that just allows space to make a different mm-hmm. decision, you know, and yeah. which isn't, isn't as sexy as I was hoping it would be, you know, you <laughs> kind of hoping you'd find that big traumatic experience and tackle it head on and, you know, feel like a million bucks, but no, it's these slow little steps. Isn't. Yeah. 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 And they're, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of cliche, but I do really appreciate the journey very, yes. very much. Because if you look at, would you say 2014 was when you're getting your master's? Uh, 2012, I got 12. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, look at Sean then and look at Sean today. Right. Like, have you grown? Are you different? Have you oh, changed? For sure. Yeah. Right. But we don't appreciate any of that. We just want whatever's still gone as opposed to, dang, I worked hard. Look at me. Yeah. Oh, I did that. Or what awareness, you know, around whether it's medication or self-care or responding to others or being vulnerable on your, on your uh, YouTube channel, yeah. whatever it is, it's like, those are huge steps, Right. but it doesn't seem like it. Right. Because you still have a little guy back there. Who's like, well, oh, stupid or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that, I don't know if it's as stupid. It's just, I am that's so, Sorry, oh no, that's, that's totally that's all right. I, I'm just trying to be honest. I, mm-hmm. I think it, I'm, I don't know what it is. It, it's a combination of two things. I'm so in the future all the time that I rarely look behind me because it's over, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't mm-hmm. like to relive things that have already happened. Mm-hmm. And when the only time I feel like I really ever do that is when I make a video, like I filmed it and now I get to see it fresh for a new time and try and, yeah put the emotions that I experienced and try and give them to other people in, in video form, which is really fun for me, but that's really the only time I look back. And if somebody compliments me or, you know, um, says I did something, I'm really quick to wipe it off. And that's something Mm -hmm. completely different. I'm aware of that too. I don't Mm -hmm. know exactly where that came from either, but I'm working on that one, but (laughs) it's a tough one. It's hard. I think that's a societal one too. Like, yeah, you're not supposed to be proud. You're or that's what it feels like. You're not yeah, supposed brag to or brag. Yeah, yeah, now kids are calling it flex, and I'm like, oh, I can laugh at myself <laughs> about that. Yeah, I'm gonna flex. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm losing it too. Uh, some kid was saying I got I just yeeted myself into a backflip the other day. So that's the new one I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> you did what? Yeet. Y e e t. I guess it's oh. just like when I was a kid, it was like you huck you hucked yourself off to the cliff. Oh, you know, okay. to do it for. I've, I've missed both of those. <laughs> yeah. No, but. Yeah, it's a, but when I can be present in the, in the moment, I'm, I know I'm most at peace and most happy, but it's the hardest place for me to live because man, I really like building things, you know, in in the future. And I know I'm doing that in the present, but it's like getting out of my head and being there. You've you've given me through this experience and like your email asking for um, information, bio, that kind of stuff just gave me so much confidence and I, I have information or experience or knowledge or whatever to offer. Oh, so much. I never do. Never. Like if you want it, you'll call me, right? Like if you want it, you'll talk to Troy and Troy will set you up. And I never think about it. And even um, one of my son's friends on Instagram, I had messaged him about something he had done some competition and messaged him and he said, you need to do more or something like that back to me. And I'm like, what should I do more of? And he goes, right. Because everything you put on Instagram is really helpful. And I was like, Oh, okay. 
but you know, I appreciate that, but you just don't ever know how you're helping people. Yeah. Like I didn't think this 24 year old kid was reading my Instagram posts. Why would he? Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. I, that's the exact thought that went through my head before I started talking about pole vault, because Mm -hmm. you start to think everyone thinks like you, you know, it's one Mm -hmm. of those automatic negative thought kind of a thing, mind reading and, you know, and you're sitting there just going, no one's going to get any value out of what I have to say. And Mm -hmm. just like anything you do one and then you get like that one person who's like, it yeah. connected, then that gives you the confidence to another one. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. you're two and then your audience starts to grow until you go, wow, I'm helping a lot of people with stuff I already know. Like I don't have to keep right, digging right. anymore, you know? Yeah. And um, it's been I a little bit of it. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. No, I was going to go say, I wish you could have had a camera on my husband and I when we were watching some of your videos. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> we're both sitting in here and we're like, whoa. It's such a goofy sport. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And I've just... That and and that's the other side of me. Like right now, is I I really like lifting up rocks and finding new things. And like yeah. talking to you is this is filling my bucket. And for a lot of years, even the vlog now, it's really hard for me to to make those because I'm mm-hmm. just regurgitating stuff I already know. Right. And I'm a I'm a seeker at heart. Like curiosity mm-hmm. is like in my blood. Mm-hmm. So um, that's why this is you know for me. I I realized that's I needed so cool. that. And I, even though the pole vault side is paying the bills, so it's been kind of mm-hmm. like, let's get this thing going because yeah. it seems more important than, you Well, know. it's just going to tap into a whole new yeah. um, audience. I or hope so. maybe the same audience, but an audience that feels seen and valued and understood now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so you should write more. <laughs> he was <Thank> right. <laughs> well, I have a, I have a manuscript going, but yeah. I, I want to put a little bit more out there. Yeah. Um, if you need help, let me know. I'll be happy to, to help you. you. I appreciate yeah, that. Of course. I'm always like, no, no. Yeah. No, is this okay? And inevitably my brilliance comes to me when I'm not wearing my glasses. So I put it out there and then I immediately get a message from my son and he's like, really, that's how you spell whatever. I'm like, oh, no, but it <laughs> just is voice to text. You're not wearing your glasses. <laughs> Uh, we are over time, but can I just ask one more question, if, if you don't mind? If, if you could have a magic wand and just change mental health or the way people see it or um, help people in one way, you have the power, what, what would you do with that wand? Yeah. I wouldn't take it, I wouldn't take it away, um, but I would offer everyone a lens to see other people. Wow. Not to see them purely. There's a lot of really icky stuff out there and not see their trauma purely because that's not fair to all of us. Right. Um, and it's not fair to the person who experienced it, but to see their humanness purely, just that lens. So let their light shine. Yep. Yeah. 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 And then I'd be out of a job. That's okay. But that'd be great. Yeah. I've said forever that I am working until I work myself out of a job. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. Wow. This has been a treat for me. I I just want to thank you so much for this. Oh, gosh. I've enjoyed it so much. I'm glad that we were able to do it. Yeah. I'll thank Troy. We we put the pause, you know, hit the brakes when we talked a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. It would have just. Yeah. The time has flown by. Man, I feel like I have to have another conversation with Shauna. She is. I feel like we only scratched the surface. I feel like that with all these guests, but 
She has a list of a ton of books that she recommends. I will put them down in the show notes, so check that out. If you have any ideas for a guest or you think you might be a great guest, get a hold of me. I'd love to have a conversation with you and see what we can do. Uh, go buy her book. Our It's called Over Our Hearts, A Mother's Journey, Learning to Listen In. I just put it in my Amazon card. <laughs> if you guys are in a dark spot right now, uh, just know that if you hope, if you head over to onewholelifemedia.com, there is a list, a giant list of resources that you can go to to get help. If you would like to support what I'm doing, head over to onewholelifemedia.com, grab a shirt, grab some stickers, and be, be a change in mental health. Yeah, let's get out of here. Remember guys, life is meant to be experienced and curiosity will get you there. I will see you in the next one. So long.